to this church. So, Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We have great need in our society today, and especially as in, in the Western church, we have a great need to trust in Jesus. And it is very easy to become reliant upon our resources and upon our own autonomy and abilities to provide for ourselves when what we really need to do, what we need to learn to do, is to rely upon the things of God. And so Jesus begins this letter by describing himself as the Amen and the faithful and true witness. Now this is an interesting statement. I am the Amen. And the true witness. So what does that mean? Well, we probably know that word Amen. It's simply tagged on to the end of our prayers, right? And perhaps maybe we've learned that it means so be it or let it be so, or it's an affirmation. That what we're saying is absolutely true. Or we would like it to be true. And you may recall that Jesus oftentimes introduced his teachings with what? Truly, truly, I say to you. If we were to translate that, guess what Jesus actually said? Amen, amen, I say to you. In other words, truly, truly, I say to you. In Hebrews, or I'm sorry, in Isaiah chapter 65, 16, this is what God writes. Because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth, and he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth. Guess what that God of truth is? Elohi, amen. God, Elohi, actually my God, Amen. Truth. My God of truth. And so Jesus is now describing himself as the one who is true. The Amen. The so be it. The one who is uh, the affirmation of all things. The yes and amen of all things. I am the Amen and the one who is true. I am the true witness. This is going to be an important statement because he's going to be speaking to a church actually giving counsel to a church who thinks it's true, 
who thinks what it thinks about itself is true, but actually has come to a wrong conclusion. So the one who actually is true, Elohi Amen, is going to provide counsel. And when you receive counsel, you want to know that the person speaking to you is speaking to you truth. And so Jesus begins to open this letter by saying, I am the Amen and the true one. And I am the beginning of the creation of God. Now, this has caused a number of people to to stumble and has given rise to a, a number of false teachings in the church. When it says that, when Jesus says that I am the beginning of the creation of God, he is not saying that he is the first thing created. All right? That's an old time heresy. Brought about by Arius back in the fourth century, and um, it's still alive and well and kicking today in a variety of groups. Jesus is not the first created thing. Jesus is eternal. The Word of God clearly, clearly states that Jesus is eternal, and that was, of course, one of the big. Controversies in the uh, in the fourth century was that Arius taught that there was a time when Jesus was not. Well, Arius was declared a heretic, and while Arius passed away and left church history, his teachings remain. So let us not think for a moment when we talk about beginning here, what we are talking about is origin. Oftentimes we see that, and of course we see that in the book of Colossians, especially where Jesus is the origin of all things. So along with the Father, Jesus, along with the Father, in Jesus all things exist. In fact, we are new creations through Jesus who is the origin of our new birth. So this is the one who is speaking to this church. So to summarize his introduction... We would say that Jesus is in an authoritative position to give counsel to this church. Because he's going to. He's going to counsel them. But before he gives them counsel, he wants them to know that I am Elohi Amen, and that I am from me. All things have their being. All things have their source in me. So that's how he sets this up. And then he goes on and he says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Well, here is a very blunt analysis of this church. Here is the problem. I know your deeds. And you're neither hot nor cold. And I wish that you were hot or cold. But you're lukewarm. Now, the way that I was always taught with this particular passage, I always had great difficulty with. So here's how the, the way I was always taught. This is how it goes. That Jesus wishes that this church was hot, on fire for God, or cold, antagonistic, just total pagan rejection of God. Cold to God. So that Jesus is saying, I wish you were either hot, on fire for me, or that you were cold. I guess the idea would be that I want you to be either on fire for me, or just clear that you were against me. 
I always had trouble with that. Since when does Jesus want somebody to be against him? It's always troubled me. I think the answer, though, is found in the water supply of Laodicea. Hot and cold is not hot is not positive and cold is not negative. That's not what we're talking about. Both hot and cold are, neg- are positive aspects. Jesus is saying, I want you to be hot. I want you to be cold. I want you to be like the hot springs of Hierapolis that have med- medicinal benefits. Or I want you to be cold like the cold, refreshing waters of, of Colossae. I don't want you to be in between, but that's the problem. You're lukewarm. You're of absolutely no value. The hot waters of Hierapolis have benefits. And the cold waters of Colossae are beneficial. You're neither. You're nothing. You are a nothing church. I think verse 17 is a description of what it means to be lukewarm. They are self-deceived. They believe that they had value, but their value was in their wealth, their value was in their appearance, their value was in what they had, but, and that they thought that they had no need. They thought they had no need of Jesus because we got it all. He was absolutely shut out. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, what do we rely upon? We are not a big church, but we have done fairly well. We, our finances are pretty good. Um... Thank you, you guys. This church has always been really faithful. From the day that I arrived here, probably before that. I mean, when there was only a few people here, they paid off this building before I arrived. This building and the property was paid off. This has always been a very, very faithful church in that regard. But we cannot rely upon that. That can go away in a second. We need to be completely and utterly dependent upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what do you rely upon? And so Jesus comes along and says, listen, you're not hot, you're not cold, you make me sick. I don't know, as we're going through these churches, he says some positive things to some of these churches, he says some negative things to some of these churches, but... In fact, what was it? Sardis is saying you're dead. I think you'd rather, I'd rather have him say you're dead and you make me sick. <laughs> Both are bad. Let's learn a lesson from these, from these churches. But you make me sick. You're neither hot nor cold. You don't provide anything. You have absolutely no value. And where it says, I will spit you out of my mouth, it is very graphic. I will vomit you out of my mouth. And we're going to learn that the only remedy that this church has is not to gain greater financial assets, but to repent and turn themselves over to Christ and return back to Him. So here's a true analysis. So here's the, here's the true analysis of this church. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. So here's the true analysis. The true analysis is that you're not rich. You're not well clothed. You don't have... Good discernment. Actually, Church of Laodicea, you are wretched. 
You are miserable. You are poor. You are blind. And you are naked. That's his analysis. And remember who's speaking this. It is the Amen and the true. This is a shocking claim. It reminds me in the book of Hosea, chapter 12, you ladies are studying this on uh, Tuesday mornings. But in chapter 12, I'm sorry, yeah, chapter 12, verse 8. And Ephraim said, Surely I have become rich. I have found wealth for myself, and all my labors they will find in me no iniquity which would be sin. In verse 14, here's the analysis. Ephraim has provoked a bitter anger, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and bring back his reproach to him. So do you see what's going on? Ephraim is saying, I'm rich, and nobody can find any iniquity in me. And the analysis, the true analysis is, God sees the true character of who you are and will bring the blood guilt upon you. This is, I think, an interesting parallel to the book of Revelation and the Laodicean church. As though your wealth or your, your prosperity can cover up your rebellion to Christ. We can do all kinds of things. Well, we, can, we can do missionary work. We can do all of these things and build nice buildings. But that will not cover up rebellion or abandonment of Christ. You say you have no need, but that's not the truth. The truth is, is you have a great need. And so Christ comes and he begins to provide counsel. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So now here comes the counsel. I advise you. I counsel you. Jesus is, recognizes their deplorable condition and so he begins to provide a remedy. You must first come to your senses. And forsake trusting in material prosperity. This is not going to gain you favor with me. Buy for me gold without impurities. Or gold refined by fire. Throughout scripture, gold refined by fire is a, is a metaphor for removing sin from our lives. Or from the removal of sin from our lives. So there was some sort of moral corruption going on in this particular church. You need to get from me gold. Not gold that you get at the bank. Not gold that is, you know, an investment or a hedge against inflation or anything like that. I want you to have gold that lasts forever. Gold that is true gold. That's what you need. And you need white garments. Contrasted, of course, with the black garments that were so in vogue. I can see this church, you know. You know, people today, they, they walk the red carpets, right? And 
paparazzi all around, and who are you wearing? You know, I'm wearing Vera Wang, and I'm wearing Ralph Lauren, and I'm wearing whatever. Jesus says, you need to wear Jesus Christ. Amen. What are you wearing? I'm wearing Christ. Amen. Not the, the in-fashion black garment of the day, but the white robe of righteousness that Christ alone provides. The greatest fashion designer in the world cannot clothe you in a way that will cover you and make you acceptable before Christ. People may ooh and awe and say, where did you get that dress? Where did you get that shirt? Where did you get that suit? But until we are clothed by Christ Jesus and his righteousness, we will only be accepted by the world. Jesus says, you need to buy from me a whole different garment. Stop trying to clothe yourselves. Start relying upon me. I'm the only one who can provide for you. And then, buy from me eye salve. This is a church that lacks discernment. They are blind. They think they see, but they blind. You need to begin looking at things through a biblical lens, not through a cultural lens. Too often times we, our worldview is shaded and colored by culture. It needs to be shaded and colored by God's word. Buy for me this eye salve. This spoke directly to this church, doesn't it? Jesus speaks in ways that are relevant to us. He is not distant and just speaks in ways that, well, I don't really understand. No, he gets right down and says, I'm going to speak to you where you are at. Before I came to Christ, he spoke to me in a way that it's like, okay, I see who you are. I see what you're doing. Jesus speaks in very relevant ways. In fact, all of God's word is God speaking to us in a way that we can understand. I know I've said this before many times, but it is as Calvin, John Calvin said, God listening. God's word is God listening. In other words, God seeking baby talk. Imagine if God spoke trying to speak to us in, in the fullness of his intelligence. Alright? None of us. I mean... <laughs> I read, you know, various theologians and scholars and some of them, uh, and I, I, just, I just don't get where they're going. Oh my goodness, this must be good. <laughs> I mean, I love William Let Lady Craig. Half the time, I don't know what he's saying. When I do, I'm like, oh, I really like this guy. And there are a few others. Imagine if God spoke to us out of the fullness of his wisdom and intellect. Don't get it. So what does God do? God stoops. He gets down and he talks in a way that you and I can understand as Calvin would say, God speaks baby talk to us so that we can understand and hear what he has to say and say Amen.
And Jesus is speaking to this church. Listen, you guys understand banking. Let me talk to you in terms of gold and refined gold. You guys understand high fashion. Let me talk to you in in ways that relate to, to the fashions of the day. You guys understand medicine. Let me talk to you in a, in a medicinal way so that you understand exactly where I'm coming from, exactly what I'm expecting of you. We are blessed that God does not speak to us in ways that we don't understand. I think many, many months ago, back in the year, well, years ago now, in Revelation, I read a prayer from a Sumerian, an ancient Sumerian who said to the God, to the God or goddess whom I may or may not know, and it goes on and on talking about how, you know, I don't know what I've done, I don't know how to please you, and all of these things, and here is this basic ancient worshiper who's saying, just try to cover all the bases. I don't know if there's a God or a God, so I'll just include them all. I may know you, I may not know you. I may have done something wrong, I may not have done something wrong. If I did, I don't know what I did. So I'm just going to try to cover all of my bases. Our God is not like that. He stoops down and he tells us exactly what he expects of us. He tells us who he is and how we can honor him. And here's Jesus coming to this church. You need to buy from me gold refined by silver. You need to get from me garments that are clothed, uh, that are white in nature. And you need to buy eyesalves so that you can see. And then we see the, 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 the divine motive. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. First of all, notice why he's doing this. Those whom I love I reprove. The divine motive is love. Why is he calling this church to, to repent? Why is he saying, hey, you made me sick? Is it because of, he despises this church? No. You need to understand where our relationship is, and it's way out of whack. And because I love you so much, I'm going to tell you it's way out of whack, and you're making me sick. And I'm going to offer you, and I'm going to counsel you, and I'm going to show you how you can live in such a way that doesn't make me sick, but actually invites fellowship and intimacy. I reprove the one I love. Imagine if Jesus never reproved the ones he loved. Imagine if he never called us to repentance. And you'd just be going off doing your thing, whatever it is. And you're thinking, man, I think I'm going in the right direction. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to tell him anything, but that, take that. Imagine if Jesus never reproved his people. We read that, of course, in the book of Hebrews. In fact, the author of Hebrews says evidence that you are a child of God is that he reproved you. We don't like discipline from our Father. It's not pleasant for the moment. But it is helpful. It does get us back and it demonstrates that we belong to him. So Jesus calls them to repentance. And then he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. This is an amazing act of grace, is it not? Here is a church where Jesus says, You make me sick. But I would love that, that relationship to change. 
I would love it if I could come in and dine with you. I want things to be right. I, I don't want things the way they are. In fact, I don't want to spew you out of my mouth. I want to come and have dinner with you and fellowship with you. Jesus is speaking to believers who are self-reliant. These are people who had excommunicated Jesus. He's outside their, their dining room. He's outside their house. This is a, a verse that is often used in evangelistic campaigns to call unbelievers to Christ. Please don't do that. There are plenty of good verses for that. This isn't one of them. This is a, this is a plea to believers saying, return to me. This is a plea to his church saying, man, you've kicked me out. You have excommunicated me. Now, I'm asking. I'm knocking on the door. Let me back in. And I'll come and have fellowship with you. I believe that there is a, a, a very interesting um, Old Testament parallel in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2, where we see this very similar language. And in the Song of Solomon passage, there is a focus on the renewal of a relationship. The husband is outside the door. He's knocking on the door of the bedchamber to encourage his wife to express her love to him and let him in. And at first she hesitates, but eventually she does let him in. And I think that that's a great picture. Perhaps that's what John is drawing from that Old Testament illusion, saying, just as in the Song of Solomon, Bridegroom is knocking on the door of his betrothed, saying, Let me come in. And at first she's afraid and hesitant. And Jesus is saying, I'm the bridegroom, you're the bride, let me come back in. Have you excommunicated Christ from your life? Is he outside? If so, it's time to let him in. Let him come back and he will have fellowship with you. One of the things I failed to share about the um, <coughs> culture in Laodicea was that there is evidence that because of the wealth of Laodicea, the Roman government and the Roman armies took advantage of their wealth. And so it was acceptable for a Roman soldier to come and demand food of one of the Laodicean households come in and say, listen, me and my friends are here, you need to clothe us and you need to feed us. In contrast to that, we have Jesus knocking on the door, not demanding, but knocking on the door saying, I'm out here, if you'll let me come in, I'll come and have fellowship with you. In sharp contrast to the Roman government. Jesus is calling those in the church to forsake their spiritual mediocrity through repentance and in return they'll experience an intimate relationship with Christ. Until your heart is at rest in Christ, your heart will never be at rest. And then Jesus promises this, and he who overcomes... I will grant 
him to sit down with me on my throne, and I, as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Basically, I'm going to give you, I'm going to grant you to sit with me in my place of authority with my Father and enjoy the fullness of what it means to be with me. So we will conclude with this. Churches and Christians, especially in the West, have far too long depended on everything but Jesus. We've depended upon our building. We've depended upon our our programs and our strategies. And we need to be a church that sometimes you need a program and you need a strategy and we have a nice building and we have a nice property. Praise God. We need to be thankful for those things. But when we, they start to become, they start to rule us and we become dependent upon them. Jesus is left outside. And Jesus needs to be the center of our church. It is easy to gain approval from the culture and from society. But cultural approval is not divine approval. We need to be faithful to the things of God and seek his approval regardless of what the outside world may say. So again, our hearts were created by God and they will never find rest until they find rest in him. Let's stand and let's pray.